when some of my kids were over last week, we were asking each other what our earliest childhood memories were. And the first one that came to my mind immediately was when I was about five years old. I was playing outside with my older cousin and my older brothers when suddenly they took off and started running into the house and up the stairs at my grandparents' house. Well, I started running as well, but my little five-year-old legs were no match for their older, stronger legs. And so they reached the upstairs bedroom uh, just in time to shut and lock the door uh, before I got there. But I wasn't deterred. I got up the stairs and I knocked on the door, but they refused to let me in, probably because I was an annoying, pesky five-year-old. And let's be honest, I'm an annoying, pesky adult. (laughs) And God's people said, oh, thank you for not saying amen. But of course, I could not see that about myself uh, at the time. All I could see was that shut and locked door, and all I could hear was the silence from the other side. The more I begged and the louder I knocked, the quieter it got until finally I went away crying because, well, I was a five-year-old baby, and that was 30 years ago. Okay, okay. It's 50 years ago, I told you I'm annoying. In any case, in any case, you know that the you're not welcome here message, it's a powerful one, and it's a memorable one, and even 50 years can't erase it. People feel hurt when they feel excluded. People somehow feel as if they are unworthy when they are unwelcome. So, so, what can you and I do to make sure that people don't sense a shut and locked door or a you're not welcome here message from us? What can we do to ensure that people do not feel excluded? What can we do to ensure that people feel welcomed by us? Because how will we be able to teach all that Jesus has commanded? How will we be able to teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded? If people don't feel like they are welcomed by us to come to us just as they are. My prayer is that we will find the answers to these questions as we come once again to Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to take those now and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Or if you prefer, the passage is printed in your bulletin. So when you found Matthew chapter 28, let's stand together so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16, this is the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, add now your blessing to this reading and hearing of your word. Add the power of your spirit to it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we saw last week in this passage, Jesus is handing over his greatly loved, very well-worn teaching baton over to his disciples. So the greatest teacher of all is now passing that teaching privilege on to the disciples and to us through them, all of us here are called to teach in some way. All of us in this room teach others in some way. So, so teaching God's truth certainly includes, but is not limited to, uh, the classroom or the pulpit. But teaching is at the heart of disciple-making. Now, remember the theological white horse from last week? You remember? I'm going to ask you now to help me stay up on it. <laughs> so, Fill in this blank. Whatever God ordains, Satan. Yeah. So we saw if God ordains us to teach, then Satan opposes our teaching. Teaching comes with conflict. Especially we consider that, that last week I said the word to teach means to tell someone what to do, to instruct someone how they should live. Conflict is part and parcel with telling people what to do. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Let me demonstrate that to you. Your spouse says, Honey, I hear the trash truck. Would you grab the trash and put it on the street? Now, that's a simple request. And that should receive a simple response. Response A, Sure, honey. I would be happy to do that. However, several other responses suggest themselves to people who do not like to be told what to do. Response B, yeah, I know. I was just getting ready to do that. Response C, no verbal response at all. Just the sound of trash can wheels on the pavement. Response D, offered after several minutes of delay. Uh, honey, were you saying something to me? I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you because I was just putting the trash out on the street. Which response do you choose most often? My guess is the response A is chosen the least because we don't like to be told what we should do even if we want to do it if someone else tells us to do it. So, yes. Conflict comes with teaching. Those we teach don't like being told what to do any more than we like being told what to do. And so last week, we started to look at ways in which we can be victorious in the conflict that accompanies teaching. And, and the first way from last week was to be compassionate. Jesus taught with compassion. His heart went out to people 
as he looked out over them, no matter how they appeared to him or to others, Jesus knew that apart from the good news of the gospel of the kingdom that he was teaching, then all of those people were helpless, they were hopeless, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so you and I must view people, no matter how they appear to us on the outside, with compassion and not frustration because it remains true. For us today, it was as it was true in Jesus' day that, that people who do not know Christ, they really are helpless and they really are hopeless. So to be victorious in the battle, the conflict that surrounds teaching, first we must not give in to anger. We must not give in to frustration. We must instead be full of compassion. This morning, we're going to look at a second way to be victorious in this conflict that surrounds teaching, to obey all that Christ has commanded. And that way is to be welcoming. Be welcoming. Be compassionate and be welcoming. In Luke chapter 15, Luke gives us one of those snapshots of Jesus that once it gets in your head, you, you can never get it out. You can't unsee it. Once you've seen it, at least that's been true for me and, and for all of my years of ministry, even when I wanted so badly to forget what I had seen. And here's the snapshot. Jesus is getting ready to teach three of his most famous parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost or the prodigal son. Before he teaches anything, Luke tells us this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. That's it. That's the snapshot. But it's startling, and it's unexpected, and it's also really very moving because in this remarkable twist of culture, in this remarkable twist of custom, the excluded are included. Those who stay at a distance now come near to Jesus. You know about this phrase, tax collectors and sinners. It's used over and over again in the Gospels, and it's always used to describe the, the lowest of the low, the, the seemingly most unworthy, definitely the marginalized and the ostracized. Those are the tax collectors and sinners. And take my word for it, though we would like to believe otherwise, about ourselves. If you and I had actually known one of these tax collectors, if you and I had actually known one of these people that are called sinners, we would have been more inclined to shut the door and lock the door against them than to extend a welcome to say, come in. And more than that, come in and sit at my table. Yet in Jesus they sense a welcome. And so they physically approach and they come near to him. When I imagine this, and I do, I don't picture Jesus j just pretending that he doesn't notice while these uh, marginalized ones inch closer and closer to him. Now, I don't imagine that at all. I, I, I imagine Jesus seeing them at a distance and waving to them, friends, Come near. 
And then I imagine those marginalized ones coming close, but not too close. And so I imagine Jesus motioning to them again, no, come, come closer, sit and listen. That's only in my imagination. It's not in Scripture. But it certainly fits the picture we have of Jesus from Scripture. He welcomes them. And he welcomes them as they are. And that's how Jesus welcomed you and me, just as we were. He did not first send us away to to fix this problem or that issue in ourselves before he would welcome us. I once was trying to transfer transfer a, a car title into my name at the DMV. You know this is not going to be a good story. It should have been easy. But the DMV worker found some technical issue with the title and sent me away to have it corrected. So off I went. And I came back to the DMV on a subsequent day with the error fixed but was served by a different worker. The second worker found a different error. And I questioned why the previous worker had not noticed the problem, if it really was a problem, but the worker had no answer. She, too, just sent me away to fix my problem. So off I went. And I came back to the DMV for a third time on a subsequent day with the second error fixed and was served by yet a different worker. And guess what happened? Yep, you guessed it. The third worker found yet another issue. I questioned why the previous two workers had not noticed the problem, if it really was a problem, but the worker made no answer. She just sent me away to fix my problem. So I left for the third time, wondering why I could never be good enough for the DMV. But this time, the manager of the branch happened to see me. She knew me. And she came out and she asked me why I kept coming to the DMV. And I told her, oh, I just like it here. The friendly people. I can look out over the water while I wait for hours. Okay, now really, that's not what I told her. But I told her what happened, and and she happened to intervene on my behalf, and I was given my title, and I felt like it was a gospel moment. (laughs) If she had not intervened on my behalf, how many times would I have been sent away for some failure? Here's the good news. Jesus is not looking at the very real problems, at the very real issues, at the very real sins that we have so that he can send us away. We all come to Jesus racked with problems, with issues, with sins and emotions. Come near. Come near. Before I go further, I just have to say, because I don't know everybody here this morning, but if you have never drawn near to Jesus for whatever reason, because of who you see or believe him to be, or because of, of who you see yourself or believe yourself to be, I hope this image is seared in your mind because this is who Jesus is. And Jesus is one who welcomes. So I'll call you call you now. Come near to Christ. Draw near to him. He will not send you away. 
He will welcome you. And that is good news for you. These tax collectors, these sinners, sensed that they could come near to Jesus. They sensed that the truth he had to teach was also truth for them. Jesus exuded something that said, welcome. The door's not shut. The door's not locked. It's okay. Come near. What do you exude to others, to each other here, to family members, to friends, co-workers, classmates, but especially to tax collectors and sinners? Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome here means to receive into one's home or to into one's circle, to receive into one's home or into one's circle. Some of our favorite psalms describe the Lord's welcome to us with the equivalent Hebrew word. Psalm 65, blessed is the one you choose and bring near, welcome, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. The Lord's Welcome to us into his home and the goodness of it. Psalm 27, 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will welcome me. Psalm 73, verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will welcome me to glory. Is the welcome of the Lord not a beautiful thing to us, an intimate thing? Sometimes we gloss over these as Christ did for you statements a little too quickly, and we take them a little too lightly. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Oh, okay. Oh, wait. What? Love others as you love me, but you love me with everything, Lord. You gave your life. Because you love me. Jesus says, as I have done for you, do also for each other. Oh, okay. Wait. What? Serve others, Jesus, as you serve me. Humiliate myself by wrapping a towel around my waist and washing the dirty feet of others. The word of God says, welcome one another. As Christ has welcomed you. Oh, okay. Wait. What? You mean I have to welcome people just as they are because you, Jesus, welcome me just as I am? See, we can't gloss over welcome as if it were an easy thing or as if we will just intuit it or as if we will just do it automatically without thinking about it. We won't. Not this kind of welcome. It's too difficult All of the just as Jesus did statements should drive you and me to our knees. We don't have it in us to welcome others as Christ welcomed us unless we cry out 
to the Lord, especially the kind of people that Jesus welcomed because they were not, quote, unquote, good people. They did offensive things. They did unkind things. They did cruel things. We are offended by so much that we see going on around us today. We're grieved by what people in our culture do, what they attempt to normalize. We're grieved by the wrong that people in our culture call right. We're grieved by the incessant attempts of people in our culture to inflict that wrong on everybody else, even by order of law. We are grieved that so many other people follow these people like lemmings right over the cliff. And everything within us wants to withhold our welcome from those people. We fear that our welcome will be considered a tacit approval, and the last thing we want to do is to give our stamp of approval, or maybe better said, our stamp of tolerance or acceptance on the sinful actions of sinful people. So what's the solution? Not to welcome them? If so, then the question becomes, how will we make disciples if the very people who need to become disciples do not feel welcomed by us? If they perceived in us a closed and locked door, if they believe they must go away and fix their problems before they can come to us, or if we communicate that Jesus must not be for a person like they. How will we teach people to obey all that Jesus has commanded if people don't feel welcome in our church, in our Sunday school classes? in our homes, at our table, in our circle. And not just the tax collectors and sinners, but those who are seeking to learn to be faithful followers of Christ, but they have so many struggles with sin. How can we extend the welcome of Christ? I'm going to answer that question by noting this. The tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus before he taught. What drew them? Not the words of Jesus. He had not yet begun to teach. It must have been the spirit that radiated from Christ. Of course, Scripture says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Please imagine being in his presence Scripture says that those who look to him, that their faces are radiant. Of course they are because they reflect the radiance of Christ himself. You and I certainly are not Jesus. We aren't. But Jesus gives to us his radiant spirit. And now we're back once again this week to the fourth and final all in this great commission. Jesus promises to be with us Always. And he's present with us through his spirit. And the fruit of that spirit, that radiant Christ spirit in us, the evidence that Christ absolutely indwells us is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the qualities that must radiate from us if others will ever be drawn to us. Then, after they have felt our welcome, then we can teach. That's what Jesus did. Specifically, he taught here the parable of the the prodigal son. That's a, a particularly pointed parable for tax collectors and sinners because the prodigal son lived a profligate life. Jesus did not ignore that sinful life. Jesus did not endorse it. Jesus did not excuse it. In fact, the son repented, right? He had to turn around, go in a new direction. And so he went back to his father and he acknowledged his sin and his unworthiness and the father received him. Jesus extended a come-as-you-are welcome, no doubt. And with that welcome came a charge to become who you should be and who you can be in Christ. What an amazing teaching opportunity. A genuine welcome provides. We've got to pray that people will feel welcomed by us, that that love and joy and peace and patience will radiate from us more and more. And if that's going to happen, then you and I have to pray for fullness of spirit. Is it any wonder that Scripture calls us to be full of the Spirit, be full of the Spirit? I believe that that means that you and I don't quench the Spirit or stifle or suppress the Spirit in our lives, but instead we give full reign to the Spirit of Christ in us. And when we do, that's when the love and the joy and the peace and the patience is going to flow from us. Do you want, do you want your children to draw near to you so that you can teach them the truth of God's Word? I know you do. So then radiate the Spirit of Christ. Pray for the fullness of the Spirit in your life. Do you want your friends? family members, co-workers, classmates. Do you want them to come near to you so that you can teach them Jesus, truth? I know you do. Then radiate the Spirit of Christ. Pray for more of the fullness of the Spirit. The fuller we are of the Spirit of Christ, the more we are yielded to His Spirit, the more His Spirit will radiate from us. And just uh, as in Jesus' physical presence, people felt they could draw near to him. So people will feel they can draw near to the Spirit of Christ in us. And then you and I can welcome them as Jesus welcomed them. And then you and I can teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And guess what? We leave the results of that with God, right? We don't know. We teach. Will there be belief? I don't know. Will there be rejection? I don't know. That's up to the Lord. It's for Him to decide. We just must do our part to be victorious in this teaching conflict. As we seek to teach people to obey all that Christ has commanded, we must first be compassionate, and then we must be welcoming. Let's pray. Father, make us this. We simply ask in Your name. Make us welcoming people. Remind us of the welcome you have extended to us.
Remind us of all the reasons that you could have had for rejecting us, and yet you motioned for us to come near. You drew us by your Spirit, and when we came, we welcomed you. Lord, that's our pattern. Just as you welcomed us, may we welcome others. Lord, make us do battle with what welcome means. Because I know it goes through my mind. I know it's going through others' minds. Lord, it's true we don't want to appear to be promoting or accepting uh, sin just this, for the sake of welcoming people. No, but Lord, we welcome them. The Spirit uh, in you, Lord, may it draw them to us so that we may teach your truth and make disciples. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.